here over these last couple months off and on, and uh, especially enjoy the bowling last night, get to hang out for your uh, Christmas bowling party, which I understand you have about every 14 years. <laughs> I sure wish I could bowl like Pam, though. I tell you, she could uh, bowl 268 last night. Unreal, man. Uh, we think about uh, not just this Christmas party, but uh, this Christmas season. Uh, I have a question for you. Especially you dads. How many dads does it take to assemble a toy? <laughs> you know, this Christmas we dads uh, will be assembling a lot of t Christmas toys. And uh, many of us have been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it for about 30 years, 38 years for uh, my kids. And uh, sometimes those toys get assembled upside down, uh, backwards. We get the parts all mixed up. And, um, you know, some pretty nice gifts. Ikea furniture, outdoor grill, uh, living room furniture, kids' swing set, uh, all kinds of special gifts. And uh, I think I finally learned something about the secret of how to... Uh, handle these special Christmas gifts. When all else fails, read the instructions. <laughs> Fortunately, we have a special Christmas gift that's already been assembled for us. However, we haven't entered into it in a fullest way yet. We'll st we're still waiting for this special treasure to be fully opened. In the meantime, we hold it by faith. And Christ gives us some special instructions in order for us to keep hanging on and maintaining this precious relationship with Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that's why we have this text here in Mark 13, which Jason so eagerly, eagerly gave to me. Mark 13, 14 through 23, the abomination of desolation. <laughs> you know, I've been preaching 40 years and never had to preach on this text before. Now I don't know why he gave it to me. I had to go buy a book and read it. Of course, they gave me the text two months ago, so I've had a lot of time to think about it almost backed out of preaching. But uh, if you would, please stand as we read this text. I'm actually going to read it from the bottom up, so to speak. It's from Mark 13, verse 14 to 23. Start in verse 21, the last section. Um, At that time, says Christ, that is as we get closer to Christ's return, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, 
standing where it does not belong, or as the holy place, let the reader understand or pay attention, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women. By the way, I'll skip back to verse 14. Uh, How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. That is, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom God has chosen, he has shortened them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Yeah, so I read verses 21 to 23 and then moved back to the top, verse 14, for those who didn't get that. Occasionally when I preached in my, the church that we found, I founded, we'd have a little repeat section. I'd like for you to do that this morning, if it's all right. Uh, just repeat these words after me, if you would. Without Christ, I have nothing. With Christ, I have an eternal treasure of riches. We hold an eternal treasure of riches. You hold it by faith. And when you have a treasure, you naturally protect it. You have retirement account, maybe a 403B, 401K. You diversify to protect it. You have a car, a house, you lock it up. We put locks on our bicycles. We have children. We put little safety latches on the the stove. Uh, We have little toddlers. We child-proof the room. I like like to say when you have children, that that one scripture verse takes on a new meaning of laying up your treasures in heaven, especially as those toddlers start getting into everything. We put electrical plugs, we put safety covers on them. We put foam uh, padding on the carpet. And, uh, you know, we protect the things that we treasure. God has come into the world. And now, through faith, you have a treasure. It hasn't yet been fully opened. We see some pearls stringing down the side of the treasure chest. We want to hold on to that treasure that one day it will be fully opened. That we don't need to walk around holding it by faith anymore, but we'll have it in its fullness. The book of Ephesians says, Remember at one time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship from God's people. You were a foreigner to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope. And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. God becomes incarnate. 
to shed his blood to give us a grand treasure. And we're privileged to have this treasure because we're no longer foreigners, but we are in God's family. We're no longer enemies. If you would believe it, you are a friend of God. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the pains that we're going through now, all of the pains that we're going through, they will dissipate. There'll be no more mourning or sorrow or pain. One day we'll enter into the fullness. What it means when Christ said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go again, I go away, I will come again to take you to be with me. That where I am, you might also be. But for now, we may have a lot of days, a lot of decades, a whole lifetime to endure trials. To get to when the treasure is finally opened. And so Christ gives us instruction. He says in this section, which is difficult to, tell, to understand a lot of it, but the one thing is clear is that he gives us clear instruction on how to protect your relationship with him. And he puts before us three tactical commands. They're really imperatives. They're three verbs which will hold this text together for us, I believe. It's in the end there, in verse 23. Guard. Be on guard. And then he's going to go talking about fleeing. And then finally, praying. Be on guard against cheap alternatives. Flee when you detect uh, a spiritual odor that doesn't smell of Christ. And then flee, or pray. Pray for an enabling grace to survive. Now Ephesians 6 tells us that uh, there's an evil one. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking who may devour, whom he may devour. We have a struggle. And it's not just earthly struggle like keeping your job and raising your kids and trying to make it through a cold or whatever you're struggling with. But we struggle against unseen forces in high places. That are powerful. You know, my wife and I were watching a special the other night, and there was a young man who uh, he had this diamond ring, and uh, his mother she decided for whatever reason that she was going to uh, take this diamond ring. It had a number of diamonds in it, and she took out the diamonds and put in zirconium. He never knew the difference. Here he was walking around with what he thought was a treasure. But someone had slipped in and put in a false substitute. You know, the, the, the scripture says that the evil one, the devil, has many names. It gives them names to us. It gives those names to us. He's the, a thief an accuser, an obstructor, that is an opposer of the brethren. He opposes you who believe in Christ. 
He is a liar. These are biblical names. He is called an angel of light. That's a great phrase for us to enter into what he's up to. An angel of light. And so 1 Peter 4, 5, 8 says, Stay alert. That's the same thing it says in this text in verse 23. Be on guard. And that's what it means. It means watch out. Be alert. Keep staying alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a hungry lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, I find this helpful quote that I came across recently. It says, and I quote, Don't think that the devil will appear wearing a red cape and having two pointy horns on his head. Instead, he may show up looking like everything you ever wished for. End quote. What, does, what the deceiver may offer you this season is personal power, a pot of money, a person, pride, to applaud your own efforts, a place of ease and comfort, a life of ease and convenience, and all to be placed above Christ. The broad and easy way. I wished I had the broad and easy way. Don't we all wish for the broad and easy way? We're always looking. If we can just get 20 minutes to get a nap. Or if I can just get a bonus. If I can just have a break. We're always looking for the break. To get something because the burden is there, isn't it? And it would be nice if we could just get a whole life. That was one big break where we didn't have the tension, the stress, and the difficulties of living a life. And especially the challenge of sometimes of living a life for God, it's not easy. But I tell you one thing, if you take a, rather take a break from living God's way, in the end you'll find it's going to be much harder. Much, much harder. Because Christ says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How much lighter it is to know deep within your soul that God's taking care of you, even though life is challenging, than it is to take a shortcut so that we can have some moments or a few years or have something that's going to be a little easier, a little more convenient for us. As Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The, the deceiver's aim is to, to lead you away from your treasure. He doesn't want you to have it. To appeal to your fallen nature and to diminish your need for Christ. And oh how we need him. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who comes to the Father comes through me. And he said also that I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
He's come to give us a treasury of life. In 1 John 5, we're told, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God, you do not have life. That's what the Bible says. And so when you see an appealing alternative to the teachings of Christ, you need to flee and to get out of there. Protect what you have by guarding it for these competitive, attractive alternatives. And then when you detect something that doesn't ring with Christ and his teaching, flee. That's what we see in verses 14 to 16. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, or that is in the holy place, as the Matthew says, pay attention and flee. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down, enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, flee. Don't hesitate. Don't be like Lot's wife who paused to look back. Now this is not an easy section to understand and I understand why Joe gave it to me. <laughs> Especially the phrase in verse 14, the abomination that causes desolation. When you see that abomination that causes desolation, there's much discussion. What is that? You know, there are all sorts of books about it. That's why I said I bought one from some, some guy in Northern Ireland and wrote it and read it, and I thought, pretty good stuff. I read some other things, and I thought, pretty good stuff. And so I'm reading and thinking, and it's like, okay, yeah, i got to preach. What am I going to say here? You know, i got to say something. What exactly is he talking about? What is this? What does it mean? There's much we don't know and much speculate speculation about it. However, there's much we do know. We can say something safely and surely for about this. We know that the definition of the word of the word of word abomination means something specific. And by the way, when you hear this word abomination, it's like this is not your everyday word, right? When's the last time you used it in a conversation? The only thing I could think of was the abominable snowman. And I had to look that up. You know, that's like this Bigfoot over there in Tibet in Nepal area of this legendary figure. And, uh, but the, the word abomination means uh, it's a foul odor. It is a stench. It's just horrific smell to God spiritually. So we had uh, this chair in my living room. I used to like to sit there. A special place, and every now and then, all of a sudden, what? What is that odor? Do you smell something? We couldn't figure it out. Oh, I just maybe it's nothing. It would come and go, and finally, I said, "That's surely something here in this area." My wife would walk over, and she'd start smelling it. And we got to check this out. This is like going on for a couple of weeks, and it, it would smell and then not smell, and then so finally, we got a friend of mine who's a contractor, and he got his. He started looking around, snooping around, and got a wire with a, a camera on the end of it and looking around and things. And up above the ducting was a dead mouse right next to my furnace. And, you know, when you find 
a dead rodent in your house, you know, those odors come up from the basement and they go up. It's not pleasant. You've got to do one or two things. One, you get rid of that rodent smell or you get out of the house. That's pretty simple. You know, because when there's one, one rodent, it attracts more. And I tell you, you get a house full of rodents, you don't want to be there. Isn't it interesting what Jesus said about the house of God? When he said, my house is to be a house of prayer. But you've made it a house of thieves. In other places he said, you've become a house of vipers. I'm not talking to you specifically, but talking to the religious leadership. There had been an erosion. There had been this stench. And they had the appearance of spirituality. And they were very exacting in many ways, trying to keep the rules and the regulations. But in God's eyes, they were an abomination. So we know the word abomination, what it means. It means it's a stench to God. And we also know uh, what it means to be desolate. Uh, desolation. Desolation means to be, it means to be deserted. It means to be left in destitute. It means to be left uh, uh, to be devastated. And so there's a certain abomination that will leave you desolate. And I can't say everything about this text, certainly, but I can tell you one thing for sure that I know about the Bible. That when you don't have Jesus Christ and you're in a place that's supposed to be a place of spirituality and they don't give you Jesus, in the end, you're going to be left desolate. You're going to be left with nothing because the judgment of God is falling. And we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And when it falls on a house of worship, any house of worship, any person of worship, when it falls on us and we don't have Jesus Christ, any form of religion we offer up is a stench to God unless it's coming through the precious life and blood of Jesus Christ. So flee from any form of spirituality that doesn't give you Jesus at the center. It's no wonder in 70 A.D. that judgment fell upon the temple and Jerusalem, and it came tumbling down, and Jesus predicted it, which is what set up this whole text here. They were asking him, they were all adorning, look at this magnificent structure of temple. And tell you, it was one of the wonderful wonders of the world back then. Very few things compared to Jerusalem and its glory, and especially the temple, and its massiveness and its ornate uh, architecture. And yet Jesus says not one stone will be left upon the other until it all comes tumbling down. And it did. As Isaiah 40, 64, 6 says, all of us have become like one who's unclean and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Do you think that we can, you and I can offer up something to God that's, that's a beautiful aroma on our own? That's why we need Christmas. 
That's why we need Christ. That's why you and I will always need His perfect life. That's what makes you pleasing to God. His perfect life, not yours. And His substitute death so that we might escape the final judgment. The final end when we meet God Himself, when He's ready to give that treasure to you who believe. So as we near the end, the evil one, I believe, will do everything he can to separate you from Christ and who is our treasure. And I think the text tells us here there's a, a distressing, testing times that we will see like never before. Some uh, think this is fulfilled already. I'm not convinced. If you read verses 17 to 20, he says how dreadful it will be, dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. You know, there are two key expressions here. One is there will be days of distress unequaled. Days of distress unequaled. And he says, verse 18, pray. Pray. You see, apart from God's mercy, no one can survive and make it safely to the treasure beyond. Pray for God's mercy to provide a way of escape. Pray for God's mercy to provide through distressing times. Isn't that what we have to do even when the stress is much less? You and I are called to pray for God's help. And I think in the broader context here, we're we're praying for mercy to escape Satan's power of deception. You see, you don't stand a chance. You and I don't stand a chance of beginning a relationship with Christ or sustaining it on your own because the power of deception is indeed extremely strong. And so we need to pray for mercy to escape both Satan's powerful deception and God's powerful judgment, which is coming. Pray that we won't be duped and deceived to forsake the precious gift that you've been given. We've been saved by grace through faith. This is a gift of God so that we don't brag. We pray that God will continue to, to bless us, to hang on to that gift until Christ finally comes and opens the treasure for us. You know, fortunately, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that no trial has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And God is faithful. And God will not let you be tested beyond what you're able to bear. But when you're tested, God will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. You know, how dreadful it will be in those days, he says in verse 17, he says, pray that it won't take place in winter. I think winter, I think what he's saying is that God will, uh, in the circumstances and times and what we're tested, that God would provide in such a way that he'll see us through safely. And fortunately, as we're told in verse 20, as we move toward a close, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. No one will be saved, some translations put it. 
but for the sake of the elect whom God has chosen, he has shortened them. You know what this tells me? It tells me God loves you whom he's chosen. You who put your confidence in Christ. He's chosen to love you and he loves you now. And he'll continue to love you and provide a way through the trials of this life. His mercy rests upon you, but he calls you by faith to continue to call out for his mercy to keep you safe to the end. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 puts it this way. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted, yes, in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. Or as author Jerry Bridges puts it, he says, and I quote, Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. So, as our faith is being tested this season and throughout this coming year, be praying. Praying for God's enabling grace. Believing in the strong, powerful grace of Jesus Christ. You know, this Christmas you'll receive a treasury of gifts. I hope you're getting a lot of gifts. And some of us dads, well, we'll be scratching our heads trying to figure out how to assemble these things. It won't be easy for some of us. But we'll do our best. But fortunately, we have a, a gift that's been assembled already. But the gift hasn't been fully opened. In the meantime, you know what? God calls you to protect that gift. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. He promises you forgiveness, which you have by faith. He promises a mansion, a future for you. He promises a place where there's no pain or struggle. And I tell you, no alternative in this world can replace it. So would you repeat after me? Without Christ, I have nothing. With Christ, I have an eternal treasure of riches. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your great Christmas gift, the greatest gift of all, Christ Jesus. In him we've been given a treasure of never-ending riches. Grant us grace to keep trusting him when we're tried and tested. Help us to remember Christ's instructions that he tells us here. Help us to, to protect our relationship with him, to guard against attractive alternatives, which are so often so appealing, and help us to flee when we detect a spiritual stench that doesn't give us Jesus. And Lord, 
We pray, help us to pray for enabling grace to make it safely to the end till the everlasting treasure is open for us. In the strong name of Christ we pray. Amen.